0: Today we are jumping back into the book of Ephesians. For all the veterans at Life Church, we uh, we went through the first three chapters last summer, and uh, we transitioned in September to a different book of the Bible. But uh, it's March 2019. We're picking Ephesians back up in chapter four, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna finish it up. So uh, we're excited about that. On the screen, we're going to have the first three verses of Ephesians, chapter 4, and the message. I like the way it reads, and uh, we'll get into the New Living in a few moments. So, all right, let's follow along. In light of all this, this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. Here's what I want you to do while I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master. I want you to get out there and walk, better yet, run, on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off some down paths that go nowhere. And mark, mark that you do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily. Pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to open it, Lord, and read it. Not only read it, but we want to apply it personally in our lives. That's where life change happens. That's where transformation happens. And it's so cool to see it in our own personal lives, Lord. And so we're asking for your help today to do that very thing. We don't want to uh, breathe air, sit in a chair, and leave the same. We want, we desire, Lord, you the living God, the God who created us, the God who's breathing life into our nostrils now to work, to speak to us individually. We're trusting you to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to go back in time To the uh, early 1900s, we're going to fly into Baton Rouge. We're going to go 60 miles north to the Louisiana State Penitentiary, also known as Angola Prison. Angola Prison had a reputation as being the worst prison, the bloodiest prison in the United States. The prison population of over 5,000 men, 85% of them, are on life without parole sentences. In other words, they're never going to get out of there. Among those are 45 men that are in death row waiting to die. Escape is almost impossible. They have a large pack of dogs, part wolf, part dog. Their heightened sense of smell uh, are used to track down prisoners if they try, in fact, to make that escape. So yes, up until 1995, um, Angola Prison was known as the bloodiest prison in the country. Uh, in fact, when a prisoner was admitted into Angola, they would give him a knife to protect himself. That's how bad it was. Now, that's kind of crazy. <clears throat> you go to prison to get a knife. <laughs> uh, how often you see that happening? Blood stains were on the floor, on the walls. Um, man, it was a mess. And in 1995, there was a, a man by the name of Pearl Burl Kane, who was known as a follower of Jesus Christ. He had a relationship with Christ. He was passionate for God, and he had warden experience. And so he saw what was going on in Angola Prison, and of course it grieved him to see how the men were treated and how the men treated each other. And because he had a relationship with Christ, he believed that Jesus could make a difference in that environment. And I ask you this morning, do you think Jesus could make a difference in that environment? Well, Burl would only take this position if he had the liberty to do what he wanted to do in that prison. And that was begin Bible studies, that would be having chapel services, and on and on. And so those that were in charge of Angola realized, man, we are in a mess here. We have a reputation that we're not comfortable with, and we would like to see some change happened. So yes, Burl, you come in and you do what you want to do. We're going to give you freedom, whatever you want to do. And so Burl Cain came in and um, things started to change. Instead of blood on the walls now, there's Bible verses that can be read on many of the walls. There's Bibles in many of the cells There's a prison radio station. What do you think goes on with that? Well, they play worship music and sermons 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Pretty cool. Today, Angola is one of the safest prisons in the country. No profanity is allowed to be spoken by the staff or the inmates. The power of the gospel has been so evident that secular state representatives have recognized that something special has happened in Angola prison. You you listen to the prisoners talk and, man, you're you're overwhelmed by this simple fact that only only God could change the lives of these men. Ravi Zacharias, a Bible teacher, uh, apologist who defends the faith, uh, heard about the reputation in Angola and heard about the change, and so he himself went into that prison and started talking to some of the inmates. And he asked one, how do you handle the prospect that you will never get out of here and that this is where your life will now be spent? And the inmate responded to Ravi, you know, sir, if you knew the kind of person I was before I came here and what I have now become because of the freedom Jesus Christ has brought to my soul, I can only say that if this is what it took to bring me to my senses, I am happy to spend the rest of my life here. I think all of us would say, wow, huh? Wow. Wow. Ravi said, later later that night I saw this same man leading more than 700 prisoners in worship. That's not the end of it. Uh, Burl Cain also set up a uh, seminary inside the prison. And uh, for men who had put their faith in Christ and who wanted to grow in their faith, they could participate in those classes and when they graduated from the seminary inside the prison if they felt the call of God upon their lives they were sent out two by two to other prisons in Louisiana to be inmate missionaries. Yeah, man, and, and they had no, no hope of a shorter sentence, you know, or any more leniency. There were no special favors. Uh, they just chose, yeah, man, we want, we want to share the gospel with other men. And so these missionaries carried out what they had learned in seminary into the prisons uh, in their living areas to help men experience the presence of God. Why isn't that happening in your life? Why aren't you allowing the presence of God to transform you? It's happening in Angola. It's happening in hardened men's lives. Why isn't it happening in your life? because God loves you so much, he gives you the freedom to choose or to reject his love. Now, I find it incredible that men in Angola prison have chosen to respond to the love of God. Many of these men don't even know their biological fathers, and if they do know them, there's a lot of conflict there that's driven them with a lot of anger and when you experience the love of God in your life, man, it radically will change you when God gets into you. And the Apostle Paul is saying that to the, to the people at the church in Ephesus, the very same thing, because they've been living in an environment with uh, the goddess Diana. It was a goddess They built a temple outside of Ephesus. It took 220 years to build this temple. It's one of the seven wonders of the world, architecturally. And inside the temple, in the center of it, they have a statue of the goddess. Aren't you glad your God is not a statue? He's living, he's breathing, he's breathing into you this morning. Aren't you glad for that? Why would anybody waste their time on the goddess Diana where they have to go to some temple in Turkey? And there's a curtain around the statue. Well, the people in Ephesus, man, they, they were selling little statues of Diana. Tourists would come in to see. People would come to worship. And so it was the driving force of the economy in that city. And so when Paul came in and started Teaching about the gospel, the great love of Jesus Christ, that he will set you free. Most people that had businesses selling these little statues, they started to panic. <laughs> and when Jesus starts to get a hold of you, there's somebody else that goes into panic. Because the devil hates you, man. He hates you. He wants to destroy you. Why are you letting him do it? He thought he had those dudes down in Angola prison, but Jesus came and rescued him. He wants to do that in your life with his power, with his authority. And so when we look at at this book of Ephesians, This letter, Paul is under house arrest when he's writing it. It's the year AD 61. When you go to chapter one, Paul doesn't write to the church and says, hey, hey, church, uh, you need to step it up. You need to do this and this and this, and you need to improve here and there. That's not what Paul writes. Is it? Uh, when, when we look at Ephesians 1 3 through 5, the introduction to this letter, uh, you, you kind of get the, the pulse of where Paul is coming from. And let's read that. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. With what? With every. Every not some, not part, not a few, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because why? We are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. Why? Why? Because it gave him great pleasure. Man, we could stop right there and call it the day. And Paul is writing to the church and he says, man, look at what God has done for you. The first three chapters, he just dumps on the church to say, what an awesome God. How much he loves you. Look at what he's done for you. Look what he's, he's adopted you. He's given you an inheritance. And the church yawns. (gasps) So what? Paul is saying, when we, when you read chapter 3, and he talks about when you experience the love of Christ, your roots grow down deep, into that love. That God has given you everything you need. There's, there should be an automatic response. And that's what where Paul is transitioning right now. He, he, he's saying when, when all of this becomes evident to you, there should be a natural response as a follower of Christ. You should want to do this. Not you have to. You should want to because you have been overwhelmed by the goodness of God and the greatness of God and the love of God. And so we see that um, Paul is saying, I've, you know, this is what God's done, and it's time to start living consistently in what God has done for you. So on so the back of your program, there's an outline, and we encourage you to follow along and fill in the blanks. Again, if you need a Bible, they're at the back table, and by all means, grab one. Number one, Paul says, surrendered. Uh, verse 1a, surrendered. I, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Uh, that word, therefore, when when you read that word anywhere in the Bible, it should cause you to stop and ask the question, what's it there for? Because there's a reason. And Paul puts it on the front end of of chapter 4 because he's saying, uh, therefore, in other words, you have to go back and read the first three chapters to get to where Paul is going to start transitioning right now. And we just went through that where uh, Paul presented how great God is and everything that he's done for his people. So Paul says, okay, you've read the, the first three chapters. Now we're moving into four through six. And um, let's see what God has to say and do. Now, Paul says that he's a prisoner. And this is where we come up with that word, surrendered. Because what I find interesting in this verse is Paul says that he is a prisoner for serving the Lord. Now, for all practical purposes, Paul is a prisoner of Caesar from the Roman Empire. That's really why he's a prisoner. But Paul doesn't see himself as a a prisoner of a human being. He instead is okay with the fact that he is a prisoner of the Lord. In fact, it says that he's a prisoner for serving the Lord. In other words, he's in prison because he's been telling people about Jesus Christ. And he's been modeling the character of Christ to those that he's come in contact with. Now, in our culture today, we would say, if I'm a follower of Christ and I'm telling people about Jesus and I'm modeling the character of Christ, everything should be going my way. Right? Nothing negative should ever happen to me because I'm, man, I am it for God. You know? Paul says, I did all this for Christ. And it's so cool because I'm his prisoner. I've surrendered to Jesus. He's my master. If there's anywhere in this world I could be, I'm voting to be a prisoner in Rome hanging on to a Roman guard so I could get to tell this dude about Jesus. Because if I was not a prisoner in Rome, this guard would never hear about the love of Jesus Christ. There is something. When you put your faith in Christ, no matter where you are, no matter what circumstances, you realize that you have surrendered to your master. And he knows where you are. And he knows what you're going through. And Paul says, I'm okay with that. I choose not to be a prisoner of Caesar. I choose to be a prisoner of the Lord. Is that what you are today? What prison are you living in? Because every one of us is in some prison. I choose to be a prisoner of the Lord. He's my master. He has my life. As we sang earlier, my life is in his hands, right? Did you sing that? Did you mean it? Hmm? Boy, I tell you, that's one thing about, I I think maybe some people like to come late to gatherings so they don't have to sing the lyrics because they feel guilty. They feel like a hypocrite. I give you my heart. Hmm? Did you? Oh boy, oh boy! It's easy to sing lyrics. It's a whole other thing to live it out, right? Yeah. So, so Paul, he's cool with having surrendered to to Jesus and. And he's cool with being in prison because that's where God has him. Where does God have you? Number two, called, verse 1b, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Now, I like this this image on the screen. Um, Notice there's a red button on the left. That's when God's calling. God is calling. And notice the uh, the, the wire coming off the phone itself. It's worn, isn't it? That, that's good. That's like your Bible should be well worn. In other words, it's been used. That phone's been in use a lot, right? Why? Because God is calling. Paul has recognized the fact that not only has God called him, but he's called you, And he's called each one of us who have put our faith in Christ. I was thinking of um, the hymn, Softly and Tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling. O sinner, come home. Jesus is calling. And we sing this often at Life. Church will come to the altar Are you hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus is calling. Aren't you glad for that? That he's calling? Aren't you glad that you are aware of a God who calls? Does the goddess Diana call? Well, we know that there's other things in this world that are calling, right? Jesus isn't the only one, but so often his voice gets muted. You know? The busyness of life. Distractions of life. Jesus is calling. And I like in this... In this um, in this verse the word beg beg man in the greek it means to admonish to exhort paul paul is dialing in right here he being a prisoner writing to the church he's saying i beg you i beg you it's like if he could grab us by the coat you know i beg you you know paul I beg you. Stop playing games, man. Come on. I beg you. He's serious. And, and that word is very strong in the Greek. As well, to lead a life worthy of your calling. And um, the calling there means to a divine invitation from God. A divine invitation. And then that word called. You have been called by God. It's, a, it's to call by name. it's, It's to be called to bear a name or title. Which means God knows your name. He knows your name. He has access to you. He's calling and he's called you. But he also gives you the freedom to hang up the phone. Or never answer the phone. Man, I tell you what. I don't know about you, but... I get more calls from people I don't know on my cell phone. So I, I don't answer my phone anymore. Unless it's you calling. It's so annoying, these calls. But Jesus is calling, and he wants us to respond to him when he calls. I, I like um, Paul, this worthy to live, to live, um, a life worthy of your calling. It doesn't mean that you have to earn God's love. That's not what Paul's writing about here. You know, try to be as worthy as Jesus. Try to be worthy for Jesus. Jesus has already made you worthy. You you can't do it. You can't, you know, earn it or, you know. It's already been given to you. Um, what Paul is saying, it, it, the imagery here in in the original language is there's there's a balance of weights. You know, the... Uh, You you put something here and you put the weights over here and it balances out. So Paul is saying in the first three chapters, this is what God's done for you, you know, on the weights. So out of love for God, you live a life worthy. You equal that weight out by the way you live. It's it's a decision that you've made. And so um, uh, the 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 presence of God living in your life, it, it should bring life transformation. It should be automatic, just like the dudes in Angola prison. <laughs> they're they're locked in a prison man for life, and they're transformed by Jesus Christ. God wants to do that in your life, and He wants to do that in my life. You know, First Peter two nine. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Aren't you glad for that? He's called you out of the darkness. Man. Travis said that last Sunday. Jesus is the light of the world, man. God has called you out of the darkness. into his wonderful light. Wow, thank you, Lord. That's our calling. Why do we so often run back into the darkness, you know? Why Why do we do that? Paul says, man, we need to live, we need to live with who we are. We are God's son, we're God's daughter. And We honor him that way. Number three, love always. Look at verse two. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. So Paul is giving four characteristics to followers of Christ that lead a life worthy of your calling. He's he's saying, okay, I'm going to put some meat on this. Here's some practical things that we can do in, in living our lives that would honor God. And the first one is be humble. It says always be humble. Anybody know what always means? It's tough, it's a tough question. I know on a Sunday morning, especially some of you lost an hour of sleep last night. It's it's heavy. What's always mean? Always. That's right. You guys are sharp today. It's good. Seeing myself as God sees me, I can walk in humility. I don't have to try and impress anybody. I don't have to you know, blow smoke on how cool I am. Because I've been adopted into God's family, He loves me to the max, I can walk in humility. Right? I'm secure in that fact. I don't, I don't have to earn, beg, whatever, man. I look at how God sees me and I'm secure with that. I don't know if you heard the new book that's just been written, The Ten Most Humble Men and How I Met the Other Nine. (laughs) Did you write that book? (laughs) Oh, boy. You know, back when Paul wrote this... (laughs) the greeks the romans they didn't even have a, a word for humility they they saw humility as weakness they they looked uh, if you were a slave if you were a servant that's where humility showed up it was a negative characteristic it's interesting that when christians started modeling what humility was all about there was a word created for it in that culture And Paul is saying that, yeah, the Greeks and the Romans don't value humility, but you know somebody does. In fact, Jesus, he writes about in Philippians 2, verse 3, Don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Why? Well, Paul answers that. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So what do you think? If Jesus could walk in humility, do you think you can walk in humility? If Paul says, you should have the same attitude. So let's do it, huh? Yes. Number two, be gentle. Always be humble and gentle. Humility is an attitude. The gentleness is the action derived from humility. Gentle people do not grab for positions they don't beat people up to lift themselves up because they're insecure. No, no, gentle people are considerate of others. Uh, Matthew 11:29 Jesus himself said this, "Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls." So Jesus is saying, hey, I'm humble and I'm gentle. Come on, come on. You can model that too. Gentleness is power restrained. That's good to know. Number three, be patient. Be patient with each other. That word patient means long-tempered. And for all of the dudes out there that played with M80s and What else? Ezra, M-80s and... Oh boy, oh boy. Holy smoke. What was that? Oh no, oh no. Man, when I had some M-80s when I was a little dude, it was so much fun having power in your hands, blowing stuff up. Much better than those little firecrackers. What was cool about M-80 is you could go to the lake and throw it in the water, and the water didn't put the fuse out, man. It just made a big explosion. So much fun. Paul is saying here, be patient. He's, it's the imagery of a stick of dynamite with a very long fuse. What Paul is saying as a follower of Christ Patience can be illustrated with dynamite. There's a lot of power there, but it has a long fuse. In other words, it doesn't blow up automatically. You know, you get your feelings hurt, or you blow up at people. You're offended, you blow up at people. You know, you just blow up. And people feel a little insecure around people that are ready to blow up all the time. Have you noticed? You might be one of them. People stay away. And Paul says you need to have a long fuse living this life as a follower of Christ. Don't be so quick to blow up. Be patient. And um learn to let things go. So, number four, give some space. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. So, so Paul is saying you take love because of your love. Where do you get love from? You get love from God. When love has been poured into you by your loving heavenly Father, it just liberates you to be able to love so much easier. You know? It's not your human love, it's God depositing his love and where you can love the unlovely. And you can love those who challenge you. But the, making allowance means putting up with someone out of love. Putting up with someone um, out of love, Um, you know, the world's smartest detective, Sherlock Holmes, and Dr. Watson went on a camping trip, and after a good dinner and some hot tea, they they said, okay, it's time, time to crash, and they turned out the lights and went to sleep, and some hours later, Holmes wakes up and nudges Watson. He said, Watson, look up in the sky and tell me what you see. He says, I see millions and millions of stars. Holmes says, what do you you deduce from that? And Watson thought about it for a while, and he says, well, it tells me there's millions of galaxies and planets, and I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three, and I suspect that we'll have a beautiful day tomorrow, and I can see that God is all-powerful and that we are small and insignificant part of the universe. What does it tell you, Holmes? And Holmes thought about it. He says, Watson, you fool, someone has stolen our tent. Now, how many of you would say Holmes should give Watson a little space? Huh? Just give him some space, man. He's having a doesn't have it all together. You know, how, how true it is, we're all coming from different directions. We're all dealing with life with thir- different circumstances and events. And some may be going through a very hard time. And Maybe they don't look at you the, the way you think they should look at you. Or maybe the way they respond to you isn't the way you think they should respond to you. Well, maybe you should just give them a little space. Maybe they're going through a tough time. This past week, I had a conversation with somebody that lives in our house, and it's not our cat. They said, how come you didn't say hi to me when I came home? I said, because I had something else on my mind. I said, there was a conversation I was going to have with you later on, and it wasn't going to be an easy conversation. So I, my mind was somewhere else when you came home. See? You See how that works? Does that ever happen to you? No, it doesn't. Well, it's only at the Lee house, I guess. <laughs> Well, we need to give each other space. And, you know, you can read 1 Corinthians 13 for a great definition of what love is, man. And it, to model that, it will help us give people space. So, these four traits that Paul's talking about, you know, we could say, well, how do I, you know, how can I develop these traits? And I would say, there's two things that we can go to. First of all, the phone that we saw moments ago, we can, we can spend time with the Lord. You know, That's why reading your Bible is so important. To get to know Him, to get to have Him talk back to you, to, to see the qualities of God and Christ. And He empowers you to live that way. That's spending time that way is very important. The second thing is to hang around people that are modeling those traits. I don't know if you've ever noticed if somebody's got a bad temper and you're hanging with them, how much easier it is for you to respond out of anger than the way you are used to because you're hanging around some person that's out of control. It's contagious, right? Characteristics are contagious. And so... You, you have to be wise in who you're investing time with. Find somebody who's got the quality of patience. or um, Spend time with them. Hang with them. That's some practical counsel. And number four, live united. Verse three, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Uh, That word keep is interesting because what Paul is saying is we do not have to create unity. The Holy Spirit has already brought unity. Our responsibility is to keep unity. You see it? Hmm? The Holy Spirit creates unity. It's our responsibility to preserve it. And so when you look at humility, gentleness, patience, giving space, This is all part of making that effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourself. Now, make every effort on the front end of verse 3. That's, man, that's an interesting few words. Uh, Paul is saying to push on with something quickly, zealously. To get seriously involved—that's what that means. It, and it reminds me of an article I read a couple weeks ago, titled "Ease is the New Vice." It says two years ago, in response to declining cereal sales, market researchers went looking for answers to why younger people were opting out of the convenience food that had fed their parents and grandparents. The researchers found the reason. You want to hear the reason? Breakfast cereal, with the whole bother of bowl and spoon, involved far too much work. Now check this out. Almost 40% of the millennials surveyed said cereal was an inconvenient breakfast choice because they had to clean up after eating it. And my thought, you don't want to hear my thought. I could paraphrase it and say, are you kidding me? Right? Are you kidding me? As our lives get easier, we are increasingly formed by the desire for ease. Have you noticed that in your life? It makes for a nagging question, who do we become when we're no longer willing to bother? You see? So so Paul, 61 A.D., was writing to the church and he was saying to the church, don't take the easy way. The easy way is, it's all about you. When things get tough, you know, you bail out. Paul is saying, make every effort. Friends, the culture that we're living in today, we want it easy, don't we? And we think when we sign, you know, when we said, Lord, I'm going to follow you, if it gets a little rough and tough out there, You know, "Ah, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Paul is saying you've got to make every effort. Because I can tell you a little secret. When you put your faith in Christ, somebody put a target on your back. And Paul is saying, you know what? Hey, I'm in prison. (laughs) There's been some pretty brutal things happen to me when I put my faith in Christ, and I have not given up. I am still pressing on in my walk with Christ, even as a prisoner of the Lord. And so, um, when we look at this unity We can sign up with the millennials and say, It's too hard. It's too hard. Or we could say, With Paul, I'm going to make every effort to keep myself united in the Spirit, binding myself together with peace in Christ. Yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that, Paul. I'm going to make every effort. A good model for that, I think, for the church today is the um, floating fire ants. The floating fire ants, um, they can model what it means to keep yourselves united, binding yourselves together with peace, because if you take one fire ant and you drop him in the water, he's going to struggle, he's going to try and tread for as long as he can, but ultimately he's going to end up drowning in the water. But scientists have done some studies and they find out that when you put a group of fire ants in the water, you know what they do? They, uh, they band together and they form a living life raft. And you might ask, well, how do they do that? Well, these are scientists now. They, they, they said um, uh, the ants quickly spread out and formed themselves into this huge raft, each individual ant used its claws and adhesive pads on their legs to grip onto each other. Isn't that cool? Those adhesive pads. Gorilla glue. One researcher put it this way, at first it just looks like a tangle of bodies and limbs everywhere, but the longer you look at the picture, the more you're able to distinguish between different body parts and see the connection. The insects use air pockets that form around their bodies to keep themselves afloat. The research sheds light on how deeply social insects act together, almost as if they're part of a super organism. The individuals acting together create this awareness of the environment that no individual ant has. Lord, make me a fire ant for you. But, but that would be good. He made the fire ants. He knows what goes into it. We need a little bit of that adhesive glue on our pads, don't we? To where Paul says, make every effort to keep yourselves united In the spirit, binding yourselves together in peace. And so this morning, have you surrendered, like Paul, to Christ? Have you said, Lord, I will be your prisoner no matter where I am. I will be yours. I surrender. Or, What are you doing about the call that God has upon your life? You know, I do remember experiencing God calling me into full-time ministry and how I fought it for so long. But I have to tell you this, I, I think even a greater call is for you. God has called you. Whatever job you have, He's called you to be His representative on the job man, that's a, that's a high calling. Because I remember my secular jobs, man. It was just cool to tell people about Christ, man. It was, it was cool to model Christ in front of them. You get to do that. The call. And to love always. Living united. Is there, is there one? Is there maybe two? Items that God's Spirit has been pointing out to you this morning. You can talk to him. He's on the phone right now. He's got your line. He's been speaking. What's he been saying to you? Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, I... It it really doesn't surprise me to see what you did in Angola prison, because where you're allowed to be, it's automatic to change lives. And when we look at that environment, and we could say, you know, this is impossible. There's no way God could work here. Well, well, that wasn't true. God worked. God wants to work in your prison this morning. Whatever prison you're living in, he wants to work. He wants to bring life change. He wants transformation, just like those inmates in Louisiana. He loves to do it. The question is will you let him do it? So, Lord, thank you for that resurrection power that raised Jesus from the grave is resident in every follower of Christ. May we agree with what you want to do in our lives, Lord. Forgive us for pushing back, for resisting you, Lord, for hanging up on you, for Cutting the line of communication. Today we want to restore that. I pray for every person in this room. That there would be that personal touch from you. Upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.